This episode of the Kill by Kill podcast is brought to you by Torn Hearts, starring Katie Seagal. It's now available on digital and on demand. It's a horrifying tale set in Nashville's country music scene. When two rising artists think they've gotten their big break when they visit their idol at her mansion, it soon changes into a twisted series of mental and physical torments. What lengths will they have to go to in order to prove their dedication to their dream? Well, find out when you buy or rent Torn Hearts unrated from Paramount Pictures. Now, we love royalty here at the Kill by Kill, especially poor royalty, and director Brie Grant certainly qualifies. We can't wait for you to catch Torn Hearts, and that's why we have five digital codes available exclusively to our listeners so they can watch this film immediately. How? Just email us at killbykillpod at gmail.com. That's killbykillpod at gmail.com with Torn Hearts in the subject line for your chance to catch this killer new flick torn heart brought to you by paramount pictures this episode of the kill by kill podcast is also brought to you in part by x from director ty west and the studio that brought you films like hereditary and the witch comes x the terrifyingly suspenseful horror thriller starring mia goth jenny ortega scott miscuddy um this film is fantastic it's certified fresh on rotten tomatoes our very own gina radcliffe loved it and guess what you can own x right now on blu-ray and digital x comes to you from 824 and lionsgate it's rated r and to celebrate this spectacular new horror film that had everyone buzzing in the spring and it's now making a crimson red splash on blu-ray and digital we're going to give away five copies of x exclusively to our listeners that's right you can have a blu-ray of x in your hands what do you have to do just email us at killbykillpod at gmail.com it's killbykillpod at gmail.com with x in the subject line for your chance to own your very own copy of ty west's fantastic x today and now the body count continues Once again, from LV426, this is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we're dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the goriest, chest-bursting detail of 1986's classic Aliens in the hopes that a colonial marine's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we might make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust that if I get locked into a room with a couple of face huggers, um, maybe she'll let me out. The one, the only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Sure, maybe. Well, you know. I mean, I, 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 biological you know, 
I will certainly, I will certainly try to, you know, unwrap its little tentacle thing from around your neck. My God. (laughs) One of my favorite behind the scenes things from this movie is this, this, and when people are talking about like what a complete asshole James Cameron was as a director, particularly on this set, because it was, he was so exacting is he's on the floor of that medical bay and they have a face hugger. That's just rubber and someone's pulling a wire to try to get it to leap off the top of a, a filing cabinet and go over the top of the camera. He's he has the camera on the ground. No one else is operating it. Not a cinematographer, not a camera operator. It's Cameron. He's like, what I want you to do is yank on that wire and have it come right across the top of the camera. Okay. It should hit me on the top of the head, but not the camera. Okay. And then he gets on the ground and you see the guy yank and he does fine. Like it's a piece of rubber on a, on a wire. And he's like, this is ridiculous. I don't think you're listening to me. Do you even have gloves? You can't do this without gloves. Go get gloves. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, that's the trick. Okay. That's the trick. Like there's, and you see the shot that he's doing. It doesn't fucking matter whether that guy has gloves. It's perfectly fine. But I mean, one of the things that Cameron has here is that, and this is filmed entirely in Pinewood Studios in Britain, is he's done everyone else's job. He's been in the, the the Roger Corman system. So they are all like, who's this fuck nut, this newbie we've never heard of before, who's like got two films under his belt and people seem to like this Terminator thing, but that other one was shit. So they think he's just being an asshole. And he's like, I know your job because I've done your job. And the tension between the two of them made people quit made the uh them hate each other and when when he gave like a goodbye toast he's like uh i think we've made something special this is a great movie and the best part about it is that when i leave out of here i know that i'll never come back to pinewood again It's like, oh my God, <laughs> what an a-hole. What a great movie maker. What an asshole. It's just. But you know what? Like at least it kind of like with uh, all the behind the scenes bullshit about William Friedkin and mm-hmm. de- directing yeah, yeah. The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. all, all of this, all this nonsense and all this dick waving was in service for a pretty much perfect movie. Yes. I mean, I don't have notes. No. <laughs> we, we assumed, listeners, that most of you would have seen this movie at least once. And if you haven't, stop listening to us right oh, now. Just pause and, this and, and fucking watch Aliens today. You don't have, have to you, wait. What have you been doing with your life up to this point? I, I do feel like there's been... I, it, it, listen, it, it came out in 1986. I'm, there's a fair amount of our audience that watched this in the theater, saw it on, on home video. They're very familiar with it. They saw it on cable. There's also going to be a fair section of the audience that might not have seen aliens for whatever reason. Maybe they, they don't know where to start in the alien thing or may, their introduction to it was one of the, you know, more recent films. And they're like, I don't know that that's for me. If you're going to, you know, you need to watch Aliens. It is legitimately a great time when they tell people that movie is like a roller coaster ride. 
That comes from James Cameron describing how he wanted to make aliens. Yeah, the uh, in doing a little, you know, reading behind it after I rewatched it for about the probably 75th time last yeah, night. Yeah, <laughs> I've watched uh, this a lot. Um, I was reading what the uh, critic, what critics said about it at the time. And it mm. was, it was, it was uh, reviewed pretty well. Yeah. Uh, notably did not like it was Roger, <laughs> Siskel and Ebert. Yeah. Uh, 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 both of whom did not like that. The, the last half an hour of the movie is pretty much nonstop action. Yeah. And I believe the phrase Ebert uses, he was tired and unhappy. By the end <laughs> Uh, yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? Like, I, Siskel kind of complains, like, I don't know who any of these people are, you know, an alien. At least I, you know, you got to know those characters. He fucking hated alien too. Gene, Gene. <laughs> As we, Gene, oh, fuck. Gene um, Douglas. <laughs> Constantine Siskel. Um, One of these days we're going to look up your real middle name. Yeah, we don't care. If you didn't want to pay attention to aliens, why should I pay attention to who you actually were? But they were both like, this is just tripe. Like, what is what has come of movies? Like, Alien was this perfect thing. And fucking Siskel didn't even want to like Alien. So I, I don't know what he's on about. But well, he was yeah, like, they, we, oh. we 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 fit they you know, they famously did not care for horror. Yeah, yeah. Well, Gene was a bit of a stick in the mud, a bit of a prig. Um, he also lambasted it for putting quote unquote a child in danger, which like uh, I mean, I, that's not the first horror movie or action movie in which a child is put in danger. <laughs> but he felt like it was manipulative. Like the only reason you're going to make me care is this child is in danger. Not to mention the fact the child is the best survivor of the entire movie. Like Newt would have kept on in that place until basically she ran out of food. Well, see, she, you'll see the, you know, what, what, you know, Newt's secret weapon is she's got a scream that can cut a diamond. <laughs> She sure can. Wowie, wow, wow, wow. I think uh, I, I yeah. think I killed several dogs in my neighborhood uh, <laughs> watching this movie last night. Yeah, it, she has a, a scream that could pretty much shatter glass. It's it's unbelievable. Um, so let's put a, this into a bit of context here about like how uh, Aliens comes to be because you know the original comes out at the end of seventy nine. It's a gigantic gigantic hit in the early uh, part of 1980 it's just huge um and fox executives at the time were like well you know like maybe we have a sequel if somebody has a good idea but uh the head of fox ends up changing over the course of the years like three different uh presidents of fox entertainment and for two of them they're like Alien is not a franchise that you can't expand upon that. I don't want to hear about it whenever, you know, Guyler and Walter Hill bring it up. And then finally the third president of Fox, after they've been flailing this entire time, is like, uh, maybe we could, uh, maybe we could do a movie. <laughs> so Guyler's idea is remember that absolute bomb we made for you, Southern Comfort, that came out in 1981. 
what if we did uh, an alien movie like that? And they're kind of like, I don't know. And then Walter Hill makes 48 hours and like, well, maybe you'd know what you're talking about. (laughs) So Guyler and Hill kind of, they don't want to write it themselves. They just, it's their idea. It's war on alien. It's a, it's a bunch of space Marines. So they look at and like who has a, a hot hand right now. And they find James uh, Cameron and Cameron is really only involved in this because he was put in a pickle by our old pal. Uh, when the monkey die, people cry himself, Dino De Laurentiis. So, Dino has Arnold Schwarzenegger on the hook for a Conan the Barbarian sequel. And Cameron's supposed to start Terminator up in Canada with him. And Dino goes, oh, no, 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 no. I'm taking that guy halfway across the world. You can kick fucking rocks. So while they're waiting for Terminator to start, he takes scripting assignments. Uh, The first one he takes is Rambo First Blood Part 2. One of the weirdest fucking titles of all time. <laughs> right up that, right up there with uh, um, the haunting in Connecticut too. Ghosts of Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, that might outdo for the first blood part two. <laughs> if you're thinking about it. Um. So yeah, it, he has enough time to kind of like do this massive thing for Sylvester Stallone. Of course, Stallone takes that script and changes one major thing, which is to put his name in front of James Cameron's. <laughs> just kind of just kind of scratch out Cameron's name and yeah. cover the script and write Sly. Yes, basically. Um, and yes, he, he did rewrite. See, like he can't not touch things. But please go back to our Cobra episode if you want f- the further adventures of how Sly Stallone can't let anything fucking lie, including telling the person whose book that Cobra is based upon, I think you need to put my name on the cover too. Like, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? So Guyler and Hill recruit Cameron. And he's like, okay, I think Alien's like a perfect movie, but I like your take on it. Let me take a a swing. I might be able to do something about it. He comes into uh, Fox to pitch this. And of course, this is now the thing of legend that Cameron came into the room, went up to a whiteboard, wrote out Alien, then an S, and then made a dollar sign out of the S. And that was his pitch. It was a real, a real underpants known kind of pitch. <laughs> um, and he also pitched himself as the director. And Fox is like, uh, we've seen Piranha 2, the spun. <laughs> Which is frankly, have you watched Piranha 2? I don't, I don't think so. I think I've only seen the first one. It's not good. <laughs> it feels like it was directed um with with no sound <laughs> like there's there's it's very italian or spanish it's just euro trash and there's there's this feeling like they're trying to recreate jaws uh which isn't irrational considering that prawn the original prawn is basically a ripoff of jaws but it feels like they're trying to do it in this jamaican locale and they're giving a 
a life to all of these characters. And there's this one divorcee who's trying to sleep with anything, any swinging dick that comes through the door. It just doesn't make any fucking sense. And he was taken off the picture. Half of that was filmed by somebody else. It's not really Cameron's problem, but he was very burned by it. But Cameron has kind of a, a chance to prove himself because in the chamber, he's got Terminator. And just for a sense of scale here, let's remember that Terminator is a movie that he is clearly using a lot of influences from other people, people he would have to pay later on because of those influences. He made it for $6 million and it racked up over $80 million just domestic. Okay. That thing was a fucking mammoth hit. So he comes out of that and Fox is like, oh, we need to pick up this option on him directing. Like, obviously he knows what he's talking about. He had, at this point, he, he had done like 45 pages worth of script. And they're like, it doesn't matter. You're a genius. You do it. The thing is to save money, we have to film it in London. And he's like, okay, this was back when London was the new Georgia. Like if you just shove productions there, because like filming at the same time on Pinewood is um, Little Shop of Horrors. Are you still there? I'm here. I'm listening okay. to you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have anything to contribute to this because you've really done your homework. I, I, this is the same thing with Ailey. Like there's a whole, I've been preparing for this episode since 1986. <laughs> You knew so when you were like 14, you you knew someday you were going to be recording yourself talking about how great this movie was. Yeah, I, I yes, I, I probably rehearsed this with people who've who've said to themselves, "Holy shit, shut the fuck up!" But, no, no, yeah. I, I like I said, I, I I'm just, I'm interested. I'm listening to what you have to say. I, I will say, shockingly, mm-hmm. I did not see this in the theater. I oh. I, I, I don't know what uh, what this came out like June of '86. No, July. So uh, yeah, I was I was just I was just on the cusp of my fourteenth birthday. I have no idea why I did not see this in the theater. Yeah, um, I I told my Aliens story before. What I didn't tell everyone is I ended up seeing Aliens seven times total in the movie theater in nineteen eighty six. Now, some of some of that was like like the day after seeing. I'm like I have to get back and see this. Um, so I connived a way to go back and see it. Um, then l- later, like a couple weeks later, I'm telling like my friends, we have to go see aliens and I'm dragging friends to see aliens. Then Fox releases the fly Cronenberg's the fly. So like what a fucking summer from Fox, right? Um, I'm very into the fly, but then they pair them as a double bill. So you would pay, one ticket would get you to see Aliens and The Fly. And I will look up the uh, newspaper ad that I believe a xenomorph hand and the fly's like grabber are holding on to, to both ends of a ticket. Oh, man. Uh, I was obsessed. Like these are giant goopy monsters, right? And I can't get enough. It's just blowing my goddamn mind. 
Yeah, I, I must I assume that I rented it when it came out on video like a year later, which yeah, is right. which is how these things used to work. You 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 didn't get, you know, a movie coming out in theaters and then, you know, on your television within a, a course of about three weeks or the same day in right. the in the case of the recent Firestarter and uh, <laughs> and and uh, our personal favorite, Halloween Kills. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, it, it melted my little brain. And then once it came to cable, about a year after that, <laughs> I pretty much watched it every time it was on. And, and I think it, it played even, I think people were kind of revolutionized by it. Because when you think of Alien, it is such a moody atmosphere picture. Uh, and there's certainly atmosphere to burn when it comes to aliens because it's a the tension of rising up that hill really does take a while. There's a lot of over the kitchen table conversations that take place in the course of this movie about people theorizing or what we should do or how should we fortify this place. Um, there's some talking, but all of this is under the pressure that you know what's out there. And you know that that these people are unprepared to actually rescue anybody or really defend themselves. They're outmatched in every single way, shape, and form. Right. Uh, well, you know, I think it's uh, that's why I think it's it's unfair and short of impossible to really rank the Alien series. Yeah. Because you know they, they are unique in they are all directed by different directors. Uh, who all have a very signature style, um, and and they're they're just so different in style and tone, and like you can't possibly compare Aliens to Alien Four, right? Because they're just they're they're two they're two completely different movies. Yeah, that you know they involve a character named Ripley and and alien creatures, but other than that, like the style, the setting. The 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 you know, weird Frenchy tone of of, <laughs> of part four because yeah. it's it's from the director of you know the city of lost children. Uh, it, it just it, I don't even bother trying to. I see. I I love them all, and and this is going to cause some conflict between your pals Patrick and Gina as we <laughs> as we move as we move further into the series. I I don't. I think there's something to love about all of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yes, absolutely. I, I don't dislike. I, I don't dislike uh, any of the first four Alien films. I think they all have something interesting to offer. Are they all as successful? No. Um, and some of that is simply um, because of constant regime changes at Fox. Like everyone who came onto another alien film decided this is how you make an alien film. When the, as you said, the ethos was you hire a director with vision and allow them to make their kind of alien movie. And then the executives would see it and go, well, why isn't this alien? Or why isn't this aliens? And it's kind of like, because alien and aliens are such different movies. You can't tell me there's, one type of alien film and they would go mm, we don't do that when when batman shows up on in a movie screen you know what batman is it should be the same thing for alien and it's 
a terribly wrong-headed way to do such things. Right. Let's loop around back to what you were saying about there's a lot of, you know, kitchen table conversations in in this, mm-hmm. you know, very action-packed movie. Right. Uh when I when I rewatched it last night, um, and I don't think it was the first time I'd seen it, but um, it was the first time I really paid attention to the deleted scenes. I watched the director's cut. Yeah. Um, and it's very interesting to me to see that, you know, a, you know, a lot of times when you watch a, a director's cut, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. that They left that on the editing room floor. That, mm-hmm. that, that wasn't, that, that wasn't needed. And I think when you watch the director's cut of this, it's, it's pretty much split right down the middle, what they, you know, they should have kept and what was, you know, probably not necessary. And I, and I will tell you what I, what I, you know, what I liked and thought added to, to the overall experience of what I thought was just filler. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not think it was necessary to see the sort of prologue before everything goes to hell on the, 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 uh, uh, on the colony, the, the, yeah. the colony where you, you, you kind of get an idea what happens to Newt's parents. Yeah. I don't like that. I, I think either. it's, it's just a lot better just kind of assuming what happened to them than assuming that they're kind of stuck in that, you know, you know, horrifying, you know, sort of, sort of, uh, uh, hive under the cooling system. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like that you, what you find, you find out what happened to Ripley's daughter. I think that's very powerful yeah. and, and adds more to her relationship with, with Newt. Um, I really, really like the scene with the, the automated, the automated machine guns. Yes. Fire. I think that's, that's extremely suspenseful when you see how fast the ammo is running out. Uh, and just how much, like they can fire at these things forever. And it doesn't really, there's no morale to break down. Well, because they just keep coming. Yeah. They're, they're literally, they're, it's literally just an infestation. They just keep coming. It's like, it's like trying to kill a cockroach. You kill one, there's a hundred more behind it. Did you happen to read World War Z? I did. Okay. This very much reminds me of, and I think it's the Battle of New Jersey or. Where they're the, piling, where they're piling up on each other to like, you know, sort of create like like a like a human platform so they can get over the uh the uh the barrier yeah because like the army in that situation as it is it is as it is written in the book they like they start like you know nailing these things and they drop but there's no there's no morale to break when it comes to zombies xenomorphs don't go oh no we we should try another route because we're losing too many they don't, they don't think that way. No. And there's a thought process of that sort of Western American, what you, what you do is you break the armies, the other armies will to continue fighting and, and then you win their hearts. You can't do that shit with a xenomorph. Hence this film's interesting relationship to the war in Vietnam that has been brought up over and over again. I mean, Cameron specifically said that this is kind of his Vietnam movie, which is weird because, Oh, I hit the microphone. I shouldn't have done that. It, it, this is his kind of Vietnam movie, uh, which is weird considering he's coming off of Rambo first blood part two in which uh, a film in which a survivor returns to the source of his pain to prove that he was telling the truth about POWs. Whereas Aliens is a film in which a survivor returns to the source of her pain to prove that she was telling the truth about, well, aliens. I, uh, I, I don't actually care as much as I enjoy the, the, uh, 
you know, we gonna fuck when this is all over chemistry between Ripley and Hicks. Right. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't actually care for the scene where they tell each other their first names because I, I don't believe that Ripley would slow down enough to to from going to get uh to, from going to rescue Newt to have that moment with him. It's a real pacing problem. It's a it's a yeah. I mean, I don't that that's another thing that that does not jibe for me on the director's cut. Um, it doesn't quite work. I don't, their chemistry does not need to be spoken about or explored. It simply is. Right. She sees that he's has empathy, that he does not look at her with derision and respects what she has to say. And considering how long we've talked about motherfuckers not listening <laughs> to Ellen goddamn Ripley, when someone <laughs> listens to her, you know, I don't know. There's some hoes in this house. Uh, <laughs> get a bucket and a mop. <laughs> I'm just assuming. Because uh, how long can you be dismissed and constantly be proven right before someone goes, you know what? She's got some fucking ideas and we should really be listening to her. And here's a movie where enough people after she has told them exactly what's going to happen and it happens, go, I think we should collaborate and really listen to one another in order to survive this situation. She has good ideas. And uh, there's a couple men in authority in this movie who are like, oh, fuck, we're going to be, uh, all of my planes are going to go to shit if people start listening to Ellen Ripley. Yeah, like, we, you know, we have to, we have to talk about Burke for a second. Sure. Um, I no longer remember if, if you know, the first time I watched Aliens, and, and you know, I was a, a, a naive teenager at this point. I don't know if the twist that Theo you know, Burke is the villain was, you know, I don't know if that was, if I considered that a twist. Now it's just like, oh, how could you possibly not know <laughs> that, that this guy is going to turn heel at some point? I mean, he, Paul Reiser is kind of fucking brilliant in this movie. He is, and it's hilarious that this is the first thing I ever saw him in. When yeah. I re when I heard that he was actually, at the time, at least a stand-up comedian, I was like, yes. sure, okay, I guess, because he's just like, he just strikes me like a professional scumbag. I mean, he does say that this kind of, in a, in a sense, ruined his stand-up career. Like, he had to become an actor after this, because when he would get on stage, people were like, I kind of fucking hate you. And he's like, that's not a great place to come at when it's like, let's all laugh at my observational humor. I mean, good for him. He's had a solid acting career. He really has. And I think people have come back around to the kind of things that he can do. And certainly in the season of Stranger Things where he's introduced, you know this is a real play on his aliens persona he is they are leaning into your knowledge of burke and how can they play with that and against it so that you don't know exactly where he is and it's such a revelation that he's not a raging asshole uh spoilers for <laughs> stranger things has anyone not fucking seen that uh maybe but it won't stop your enjoyment of it. Um, I just think he's very good in walking that tightrope 
And part of it is your knowledge of who he was in Aliens. Right. And he's just, he's from the very moment, like just insincerity just comes off of him in waves. Yeah. Uh, well, everyone who's in a Whalen Utani jacket with the thing with the pot semi popped collar that just hugs their neck, which is a really interesting future look. Um, and then he shows up in a pink fucking sweater and you're like, Ooh, <laughs> mm, something doesn't sit right about this. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 uh, the hints are there early, you know, when he keeps telling her how much things cost and, and yeah. when he, you know, tells her, you know, when he shuts down her idea of blowing the place up because, Oh, well, you know, the dollar value Right. On this, on this bomb destroyed colony that's filled with corpses, you know, <laughs> cannot be underestimated. Cannot be overstated. Yeah, I mean, her lying to him of you know, I don't know who's worse because you don't you don't see the aliens fucking each over, uh, fucking each other over for a percentage, is so goddamn devastating, um, and yet, if you will listen to some commentariat. When it comes to, and they don't need to be uh, pointed out or anything. This is a this is an ongoing conversation when it comes specifically to the '80s. Is that there is such a prevailing conservative ideal that is happening at the time with Reagan being in office that it, his struggle to make the most out of his middle manager mistake it just is devastating to the argument that at heart this has a conservative bent because uh ripley is saved by entering into another you know nuclear family with hicks and newt it's like ah i don't know sometimes a a little girl who's survived aliens for for multiple weeks is just a little girl who survived aliens for multiple weeks well, yes. Um, and going back to the Vietnam War of it all, there's that other element, which is very 1986, 1987, you know, highlighted with Platoon uh, and Rambo of revisiting the Vietnam War with the sense of how can we give ourselves a happy ending, lie to ourselves about what American ideals are or military might or any of that shit. And that I do not feel, and I'll present this to you, I do not feel like xenomorphs are in any way, shape, or form some sort of alternative to the Viet Cong. I find that to be a particularly racist-based um, evaluation of this film. Well, yeah, because you're suggesting, as we were talking about earlier, you know, you, you can't demoralize them you know they don't have any sense of how to fall of when to fall back or when to, you know because they're they're mindless animals yes and I, and I and i don't know that it's now in 86 you could have got away with applying that kind of phrase to you know a minority no and, and if uh. you were and if you were and if you were you know you know you know running as a republican currently right now you could probably get away with you know applying that kind of phrasing to a minority but they seem to be getting away with a whole fucking list of, of stuff that has yeah. to do with denying someone's bodily autonomy, um, much like how Burke locks Newt and Ripley in the med bay with 
uh, a face hugger in the hopes that one of them will be implanted and therefore he can just smuggle them back onto the ship, put them in cryostasis and come away with this with a biological weapon, which will save his job. I mean, and he'll probably get a nice gold watch for his trouble. Yes. Uh, holy shit. So that is the one thing that I do like about the uh, director's cut is the revelation that Burke has been stung and taken back to the hive and cocooned and that Ripley shows up and has to make a choice. Here's someone who's not only risked your life multiple times, but basically set you up to be, have your worst fears come true. And how she reacts to that is still with empathy. And that is where I feel like that defining line of, is this ultimately a conservative allegory really falls apart. Right. Because the people who survive here are the most empathetic of everyone in the party. Well, yeah. And I believe that if you are, you know, if you're going to try to attach some sort of Vietnam allegory to this in, 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 you know, in a way that feels accurate is that, you know, you've got all these, you know, hard scrabble Marines going in, you know, being forced to, go into battle with something they they're they're not anywhere you know they don't know why they don't know where they're going they don't know what they're doing they don't know what they're going to be encountering and it's all in service of you know for some you know somebody else's gain right and this is a a corporate funded war the only reason they're there is because Waylon yutani is paying for it and of course you also have to come back to is it just a terrible fucking plan? <laughs> because once they kind of dis- go, oh, there's all these life signs underneath the cooling tank of this nuclear reactor. And they're like, well, we can't go in there with guns. Collect all the magazines so you don't shoot anything. And immediately they're attacked and just start shooting anything they can possibly get their hands on. Because of course they fucking would. And the rest of this is a ticking time bomb because they shot out the cooling system for this nuclear fucking reactor and they have to get, they have to beat feet off this fucking planet. They're either going to die in an explosion or they are going to, uh, you know, get cocooned up. So those are your choices. It's just a beautifully constructed motion picture. I hate to simp this hard, but I'm being honest with you. There's not a lot of fat on no. this film. It it, the, it it hits the ground running. It, it really it, does. Especially the the you know it, it is very it is perfectly edited. Again, some some of the some of the you know the, the scenes that made it in director's cut they they still work. But I'm mm-hmm. glad that, that it, it, but I don't know that the you know that, that the the theatrical cuts suffer from not having it. No, no. I, I think the only thing that is true, like I, the automatic gunfire thing is a fun sequence, but I, do you need it? Probably not. It, it's just another way to emphasize just how, out, how outnumbered they are. 
Yeah. It, it becomes, it, here's the wonderful uh, balancing act of this motion picture. Here's a, here's a film that is constructed like here are these army guys and they have all these fancy fucking guns. They, they sound badass. They come into this armed to the teeth. They have all the highest tech weapons you could possibly have. And it doesn't fucking matter. They are coming in here with a siege mentality that they are the invaders. They are the protectors. They're, they're kicking ass. They get their ass kicked and it becomes a siege picture in reverse where they're trapped. They're unable to get off this planet. Uh, and there's a ticking time bomb quite literally. And it's it, their search for survival requires them to, to actually stop shooting and start listening to one another. Well, I think it's what also, amazing. I think another the, the thing, well, to, and again, the reason why I, I think it, it is unfair to compare it to alien is alien works under the, the classic. And then there was, and then there was one structure Sure. Yeah, yeah. Where here they, you know, they, they, you know, they go on their, on their, uh, you know, they they start their little mission. They're all like shit talking and tough talking. And in like minutes, like they, they are decimated. Like their, their, <laughs> their team is cut down to about a quarter of what it was when they went in. Uh, yeah. and, and a lot of it, a, a lot of what ends up happening is they panic. And you yes. have one of them accidentally setting fire to another one. Uh, oh, the, one yeah. the one who <laughs> the one who was holding the ammo, <laughs> which is unfortunate. <laughs> you have another one getting blown up by said bag of ammo. Yeah. So it's you know a lot of accidents, a lot of friendly fire. I think only a couple of them and actually end up being being killed by 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 aliens. They just they see these things. They they're they're in a small, very tight space, and they start yeah. panicking. Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of like, we could go through the the plot of this, but I, you know, it's not really necessary. It, it, you'll have a lot better time watching Aliens than having us kind of recount it beat by beat. But in terms of like, let's talk about the characters element. The one thing you might be able to levy when it comes to the amount of colonial Marines in this is that people like Dietrich. Frost, Crow, Rzbowski. But my favorite, like my, my, my favorite, my favorite one, Spunkmeyer. Spunkmeyer. <laughs> Which I think of every time I see Otis Spunkmeyer cookies in a movie theater. I'm like, there he is. <laughs> All I can hear in the back of my head is Spunkmeyer, get God, up here. God damn it. <laughs> I mean, there is uh, the 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 amount of dread that comes because a lot you come into this with even if this was and it was my first real introduction to how a xenomorph operates but when he pulls his hand off of that rail and it's just goo you're like oh that motherfucker's dead he is dead as shit it's like ah, oh, he stuck his hand in rubber cement <laughs> um yeah i like spunk meyer who knows what's happening like the only thing we really know about spunk meyer is he's he's obviously not washing his hands and he likes a transphobic joke or two. Whereas Pharaoh, who's the pilot, is intriguing because we know next to nothing about her. And of course, she's the one who has all the cool lingo that lived in my head. Well, like, how am I going to bring up terms like I'm in the pipe and five by five? <laughs> like, these are great fucking terms. 
I mean, she's just as badass as the bad, you know, anyone on the team. And that she never she never even gets off she never even gets off the 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 uh the ship. She just like no. she just hanging out waiting for them to come back and still gets that. <laughs> she still gets a, a face full of of mini jaw. Um I mean I in, love I in love mid flight. I love uh uh uh, Sergeant Apone, played played by oh. played by an actual um, actual Marine Sergeant, the first black decorated uh, Marine Sergeant. Yeah, Apone. Like, the, I, here's the thing: How did this guy not get put in a million other movies? He was basically after? like he was basically like like Arlie Ermey, where where yes, you know, he was he he really did in real life what he was hired to do in a movie. He he's he's another one who's full of things that when I just think about him, they automatically just jump up like every day in the core is paradise. Every meal is a banquet, you know, assholes and elbows. <laughs> and it's just, just all of his dialogue between him and Bill Paxton. They're just, it's oh just like, God. it's just golden. Hudson, get over here. Get over <laughs> here. It, the delight he has when Rip is like, I feel like a fifth wheel. And he's like, well, you know, what can I do? He's like, I don't know. What can you do? And she's kind of, it's in, it's almost in, you can see the, Hey, someone's listening to me <laughs> come across her face. And she's like, I can drive that power loader over there. And then there's this evil dead sequence of her strapping into this fucking thing. <laughs> you practically are waiting for her to say groovy at the end of it. <laughs> Cameron is having the time of his life with all these bullshit fucking details. And, and she's like, you know, picks up a box and says, where do you want me to put it? And he's like, Bay 12, please. He, like, he starts cracking delighted. up. Yeah. <laughs> I have to deal with these fuck knuckles constantly. I'm so glad I can rely on somebody to use this equipment to do the things we need to do. He's, it, they're just in love at first sight. Apone is one of the it's an economy it's everything that we love about this about you know doing movies on this show in the sense that when it came to friday the 13th you're dead meat anyways how are you going to make your character stand out yeah i don't i don't know like i don't understand what cisco meant by i don't feel like i know any of these characters yeah you don't really know like Frost and Weir's Bowski because they get killed off pretty quickly. Right. But I, I, I feel like you, you get to know the deal with, with Drake and Vasquez, you know, they fucking, you know? they, they fucking, <laughs> yeah. and it's great. Yeah. It's she's great definitely, she, both of them. she's definitely the top in that relationship, you know what I mean? And he is into it. Oh yeah. He is totally into it. <laughs> Drake, Drake is a fascinating fucking character because you rarely see someone who, decorates themselves with bones this is a guy walking around with bones on a string not just around his you know like a necklace but hanging off from his hat like he's a goddamn pirate what the fuck is that about <laughs> yeah you've got gorman who is ostensibly in charge but looks yes. like he doesn't really want to be uh um his facade but he also delivers this facade right he feels very much like the kind and another vietnam allegory of the kind of commander that ends up getting fragged by his own troops because he is overconfident and underqualified 
He does not come up with any sort of plan. He's really, truly walking them into their deaths. And I do like, I do like in the, the first attack scene, which is, I mean, it's, you know, one of the first time or the 75th time. It's so well done. It's so scary. You've got that Horner score. It works so well. It's not even like, it's not even like a bombastic score. It's just this kind of like, kind of you on you kind of kind of you know unnerving gets under you know into your bones kind of like growing kind of keyboard sort mm-hmm. of composition everybody is sort of freaking and and you know running around screaming at each other and he's also panicking but he's panicking quietly like yeah. i mean he he's is crumbling he is sweating he- he's shaking he's he's just he's like he's like he's like stuttering he can't give them directions it's just like it's so it feels so this is what i feel like war is actually like you know you've got you know i know you've got movies like jarhead that kind of like you know well the marines train people to sort of shut up their emotions and just become killing machines but i i have the sneaky suspicion that when you were in the heat of it there's a lot of panicking and, yeah. and that's why people, you know, quote unquote, accidentally get killed by their own troops. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm not trying to get anything controversial here, but but, you know, I, I do think that it is not, you know, you don't shut down as as much as people think you do. And that's why you give know, so many, you know, soldiers, who, so, so much military who serve in active combat come back like damaged because how could you not be? Yes. Um, I, I don't know. Well, obviously I had a group experience watching this several times and there's a visceral thrill to once Ripley knows that no one in that vehicle is, has the capacity to do anything. And she's like, fuck this. We're doing something. And just revs the engine on that fucking NPC. It's like, okay. Time to go in there and get these fucking people. And it, it, it just, you can sense that like, oh my God, finally, somebody who knows what they're doing is doing something about it. But the other part of it is she doesn't know what she's doing necessarily. She just knows what the right thing to right, do Right, she doesn't, is. she doesn't, not, she doesn't really know how to drive the vehicle. She, she kills the axle on it. So they can't, yeah. they can't use it anymore after that. And yeah, she just drives like a bat out of hell because the goal is to just get fucking in there and give them an exit strategy. Um, and she manages to do that. Um, even if not everyone can make it back. Um, there's also the components of this that are interesting in that she tells everyone like they have acid for blood and like, "Uh uh-huh, sure. And then when they start shooting them and acid squirts out of them and Drake gets a face full of acid in this, it's kind of like um, you, you weren't listening. Like flamethrowers are better, um, but they don't have impact. And the things that have impact, there's a lot of danger to using. Right. Uh, it's the, just, there's no There's no winning. There's no winning. I'm going to ask you a question that I'm pretty sure I know the answer to. But it's really a setup for me. Did you ever read the novelization? I don't think I did. I did. I reread it like it was a fucking textbook. Um, Burke, uh, not Burke, uh, uh, not Drake either. <laughs> Who the fuck am I? Gorman. Gorman in the book is stung by a tail. 
and he falls into anaphylactic shock. And it is communicated in the book that they're operating in a hive mentality like a termite might. So if you're stinging things and you're bringing them back, but you're not using them for food, you're using them to create more xenomorphs. But what is creating the thing that creates more xenomorphs? And that's where they kind of like wonder what is the top of this food chain that doesn't really require food. And that's the ominous idea that eventually we're going to get the alien queen. Oh, um, this, this scene, this, this scene, I mean, this movie cost $18 million yeah. to make. And it looks, I mean, there, there are a couple moments when you can see that the Xenomorphs are, you know, dudes in suits. You get like I, I will. I will say, unfortunately, on 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 high definition, where the uh, the um, the xenomorph is coming through the the uh, the the air shaft, and mm-hmm. it's when uh, Gorman you can and, see some wires. When, well, it's not even that. Uh, when when right before Gorman and Vasquez blow themselves up, mm-hmm. you can see like legs, like like right. like pant like panted legs, like like uh, like coming out behind like the the the, the head and arms. Mm-hmm. Like um, he's wearing the top half, but not the bottom. Right. He's got them dockers sticking out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you can see the wires on the power loaders as well. Yeah. Um, the, the alien queen, they're, they're hiding it around corners a lot, but the, the power lifter and the alien queen are kind of built on the same puppetry system, um, which is another one of those things because Cameron has come up in this, how do we make a dollar out of 15 cents system as like the way we're going to solve this is to make magic tricks that we can work around to make the most out of these things and make the illusions work for us. Um, yeah. It's the one thing that like now when I, it's like when you watch North by Northwest, a wonderful film that I could, wa- I could watch that fucker on a loop, but the matte paintings in there stick out like a sore thumb. But again, it's a fucking movie. I'm not coming to North by Northwest for stark reality. And it's the same thing here. Like the matte paintings become very obvious. The rear projection stuff that they use, particularly for the the uh, the crash of their dropship, that you can tell that is a rear projection. But it's all in service of this emotional thrilling ride of, of a film that's so well acted that's so well photographed it it's just fucking amazing i'm just thinking about when she after she finds newt and kind of just sort of stumbles in into the nest mm-hmm. and you've got the queen she's got these like gnarly looking sort of you know, ovipositors like coming out mm-hmm. from either side of her, and she's got that kind of like nasty sort of wet breathing, yeah. and they just sort of like like stare at each other for like you know like thirty seconds. <laughs> and it's, like, oh. and, and, it's so cathartic. Yeah, I, it's uh, it's amazing um, how this builds up characters and up situations and. It provides the audience with tools to know something is coming without constantly showing you what is coming. Once they, you know, up that we have movement and, and that that device that allows them to kind of send out radar pulses to know that there's 
there's creatures coming towards them, it's an automatic hint to you that shit's about to hit the fan and it increases and increases and increases. It's just very well constructed. I do I do always get a kick out of uh after uh she destroys the nest and um and she and Newt make it back to the uh, the platform to try to get the uh, get the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do love the whole the last fifteen minutes being in, you know of self destruct being in real time. I think that's I think that is very cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do like that the alien queen takes the elevator. To <laughs> <laughs> she knows how to use it. Too. I, just, I mean, yeah. listen, she's a single mom. <laughs> And she knows how to use resources like uh, that other people would not, you know, uh, she doesn't need a man to tell her how to operate an elevator. She saw somebody, she could fucking figure uh, it out. I, I just wanted, I just wanted there to be a, a, a deleted scene in which like she just patiently standing inside the elevator, like just listening to music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Like oh rhinestone cowboy or something. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but talk about the when they, they do manage to make it off the colony before it explodes, then you've got that literal gut punch of a of a, of a second ending. Oh my god. Oh Jesus. <laughs> when you I, I mean, had, I had I, to ask, do you do you remember the like the, the, the I mean I know you remember when you went. Do you remember the theatrical mm-hmm. experience of seeing it for the first time? Yes. Like how did the uh, audience I, react to that? So here's the thing. This is the first time this ever happened to me. I I I was sitting there, very old school theater seats. These are wood armrests, and Jesus Christ, that hell! They're they're old school uh, wood um, armrests, and I'm clenching my hands, and I can remember after them, you know, racing out of the of the nuclear reactor. And it exploding behind them. And I picked up my arms and my my hands were tingling. I was just, I, it affected me on a molecular level. Like, holy shit. This is the most thrilling thing I have ever experienced in my life. On top of that, you have, and we mentioned, you mentioned him before, James Horner, who had like, uh, 12 hours to make the soundtrack of this motion picture and does that sequence of them leaving so well that that fence post metal clank 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 and it's been used so many times in trailers it was now. used in so every fucking times. trailer including die hard and he got die hard off of this motion picture and used extra pieces of music James Horner, a man who's been known to recycle a tune or two. Um, but that was used in so many trailers for so long because it is such an amazing, uh, emotional, thrilling piece of music. So, yeah, they get up there and there's this kind of like, baby, we made it. <laughs> And the screams that came out of motherfuckers when that alien queen tail rips out of uh, <laughs> uh, it's just I'm freaking out just thinking about it because people literally lost their goddamn minds. And it's an incredible magic trick of that tail coming through a human being. 
Um, you can kind of see the wire now, but <laughs> uh, at the time it was incredible. And then on top of it, ripping this motherfucker in half. And even though he's he, even though he's an android, it's still pretty horrifying because he's got the you know, he's got the uh, uh, the ash like you know, you know, milk and spaghetti flying out of him and all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know he's now pro- you know it's set up in such a way that she absolutely does not trust him. And believes that he will sacrifice them at a moment's notice and is so happy to be proven wrong. And at the end of it, for him to just be torn in half and shit is like, how are they going to get this monstrous, giganto alien off this fucking ship? Um, Oh, my God. What a movie. God damn it! Yeah, what a I, I, this is this is this is a, a a movie I will not truck any sort of actually about it. Oh fuck it! Fuck that! Like, there's just there. If mistakes were made, it, we didn't end up seeing them. For example, right? Hicks originally supposed to be played by James Remar from The Warriors, and would he have? done as well as Michael Bean, I would say probably not. This was not Remar's best period. The reason he ended up not being in the role, they filmed him for a week, but he got picked up on drug charges. And so he was recast with Bean that, you know, Cameron obviously knew from the Terminator. Um, and Bean just brings a, an emotional intelligence to that role that I don't think is James Remar's best suit, let's say. And that is a very happy accident that elevates the entire motion picture. And also he's very nice to look at. Yeah. No, he's beautiful. Um, Conversely, right, you have Hudson and you have the pure dynamo of Bill Paxton in that role. I miss him so much. Oh my God. What, what an actor. We were, we were robbed. We're robbed of, of everything that Bill Paxton, you know, brought to his roles. Here's a guy who was a great character actor, could also fill in leads, was a good director as well. If people have not seen Frailty, I cannot recommend it enough. Another what a picture that we did not get more from him on that is a fucking shame. Um, I just think people would use the hell out of him now. Um, And, you know, he's a lovable asshole. Um, And he seemed to fill that role constantly. I mean, he's coming on. The reason he got the picture was he's coming off a weird science. And people are like, he's kind of running away with his 15 minutes in this movie. Well, he's a, he's, you know, he's an interesting character in that he, he comes off as very cowardly yeah, and, you know, very and possibly unreliable, but he, but he always manages to come through. Yes. Um, yeah. He's not someone who should be making decisions, but that's not to say that he does not have the ability to fulfill his role. It's just that it's very clear that Hudson should not be in charge of it. <laughs> and I think he would be the first to say that. Yes. Um, especially when he decides to nominate Newt to be in charge. Hey, you know what? Is he is he wrong, though? He's not wrong because she is the best authority at that moment 
on what how they should fortify that building and stay alive because she, with no weapons, no training, as Ripley is, is you know, uh, so right to mention, like, this child has survived. I think we can do this if we keep our fucking heads and do the job that's in front of us. She's fucking right. Um, yeah, he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing in this motion. Yeah, there's picture. not, there's not a, you know, you, in, 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 in a, in a, uh, you know, cast of, you know, other than, of course, you know, Sigourney Weaver, mm-hmm. uh, relatively unknown actors at the time. This was, this was Lance Henriksen's first major role, uh, yeah. even though he's like about 55 here at this point. <laughs> Um, but he he you know reportedly said that if he you know if this did not work out for him he was going to quit acting uh and this was kind of the role that 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 made him famous uh it gives him a career he never would have had otherwise just like showing up for 10 minutes and term not even that i think he's in like three minutes of terminator is like yeah he's like a he's a confident who is is killed off pretty quickly um of course it's you know one of bill paxton's first major roles uh you've got mike bean who people really only knew from terminator at that point um you know, you've got, and there's some, some of the, like, um, uh, uh, Jeanette uh, Goldstein, Goldstein, who, yeah. you know, kind of didn't do a whole lot after this. She, you know, she and Henry and Paxton were, of course, in Near Dark, which is another movie yes. we have to cover and gush over at some point. I, and talk about a brilliant performance trio of Paxton yeah. Goldstein she, and she, Henry. She actually now runs a, a, a brassiere shop, which I think yes. is, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> but she's very memorable in that role. Probably couldn't get away with it now. Yeah, probably not. She's Let's a little, she's a this... little, she's got a little bit of brown face going on. The accent's yeah. a little shaky sometimes, but yeah. you know, I, I feel like she didn't intend it to be viewed as offensive. No, I think she viewed it as here. Who who is the toughest type of person that I could put into this role? And yeah, it's it is not politically correct. That being said, I don't think it's ever meant as a an offensive. Story. No, it's not meant for the audience to laugh at or anything. And I have met, obviously, lived in Los Angeles for almost my entire life. And have met so many uh, Latina women over the years. And when I talk about horror or whatnot, they will bring up Vasquez as this character they knew. It may be not seen themselves exactly, but knew that person and how, like, so badass. Yeah, I mean, she's the toughest she one of them all. She's fucking incredible and doesn't let up for a second. Like, you don't ever not believe that Vasquez is that person. It might've done her a bit of a disservice in terms of how do you necessarily cast her in other roles? Because it is such a unique performance. People either want that or they don't get that you aren't that. Well, it it's, you know, it's, a problem for it's you know, it's worth noting that the only other movies she's been in were either directed by James Cameron or people that James Cameron was married to at some point. So. <laughs> yeah. And you're thinking, how many per, how many people could James Cameron have been married to? A lot. Uh, <laughs> a lot. It turns out. 
well, he don't quit. Yeah, I, it's you know, it's it's not it's not uh, surprising to say that people who are difficult to work with are mm-hmm. generally tend to not gen, uh, generally tend to be difficult to live with too. So yeah, the other Herculean task here. All right, there's there's we've got three people that we really are left to talk about, and one of this one of these people is not a character in the movie, but creates characters in the movie, and that is Stan Winston, who's picking up from where H.R. Giger and Carlo Rambaldi left off, and in creating a different version of the Xenomorph that is unique to this motion picture and transforms the idea of what a an alien can be. Here the tails are more active. They're more insect-like. They have more arms. There are sequences in which they're leaping off of different, uh, you know, walls, cocoon walls. They just bring a lot to the table. And then the incredible design of the alien queen, which is about the most amazing thing that I have ever witnessed on screen. Like what a fucking Muppet, like Miss Piggy alien queen. That's where I'm going to go. I've I've written for one, but I have not written for alien queen yet, but I'm fingers crossed. (laughs) I was told by Muppets people, Becky and I were both told you get these characters. And when I tell you my feet did not touch the ground for three days, that. I don't know that I've heard a better compliment, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's a big that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, but Stan Winston, uh, an amazing individual, another person that has gone far too soon, um, wanted to be a director himself, ended up doing Pumpkinhead, something we'll probably do sooner or later because it is a weird version of a slasher. And um, it just comes up with a murder and the power loader, the fucking power loader, everyone. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I love it's got that like RoboCop type like style noise when she's when they when she's walking in it. Oh God, yeah. I mean, so much of the sound design of this movie is so incredible. The screech of the aliens, which you now hear all the time as Velociraptor screeches. It's actually like, apparently it's baboon noises uh, yeah. that they kind of tweaked a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it's so evocative. Like you immediately know. And Cameron didn't like them the first time he heard it. And then he's like, you know what? It caused a reaction I didn't like. But I also have to, you know, get across the idea that the audience won't like it. They won't like hearing no, it. it. It shouldn't be pleasing. No, because it basically means your ass, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's like the, uh, remember the um, the remake of War of the Worlds? Oh yeah. When yeah. you when the when the, the alien ships would make that like foghorn noise. Oh and yeah. it's like get ready to start killing. Yeah. <laughs> um and then Gail and Hurd, uh speaking of wives of of James Cameron, um a producer who has made a career for himself, carved it out um out of nothing at a time in which women were far from the prevailing uh uh, you know, group of people in the producer ranks and fought tooth and nail for people to bring up, you know, their creative visions to the screen. It, it should be noted that she has, she deserves every fucking dollar she has right now, uh, considering the cacophony of films that she has been behind. 
Uh, what a fucking producer. Uh, the fact that she could keep working with James Cameron even after they were not married <laughs> is unbelievable uh, and uh, made a ton of money on The Walking Dead. She's got more money than I'll ever dream of, but she deserves every dollar of it. Yeah, she does. So let's, let's uh, go back a little bit and set up our final character to talk about. A revisit here. So Cameron and Heard end up jumping on and off this project a bunch of times. Um, pretty much because the studio will not believe them when they say something. Barry Diller says, the only way you can make a movie on the scope of what you've written on the page is $35 million, and that's too much. And Heard says, we can make it for twelve. <laughs> That's double what we had for Terminator. We can do this. Um, there's a bunch of add-ons to this budget that have shit all to do with um, the actual, you know, special effects here. There's a bunch of timing elements. Um, but they Diller also balks at paying Sigourney Weaver a million dollars. He's like, don't think she's worth it. Well, that, She's fucking coming off of Ghostbusters. And he's like, shit. That's like one of the biggest movies of all time. She definitely has a lot of genre love. There, I can't do it. Can't do it. And Cameron and her go, well, you have to do it without us if you're not bringing her on board. Puts Diller between a rock and a hard place. Not only pays her a million up front, but she gets a cut of the gross of this. Aliens end up costing a little over 18 million pulls in between foreign estimates. They think between 150 and $180 million. So Weaver gets a cut of that deserves every penny. And her performance here is so fucking good that she's nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. It's the first, uh, first time in a, Best actress category, best actress has been nominated, had been nominated for an action movie. Yeah. And this is on top of like Siskel Neighbor going, you know, it's too much action for me. But the only reason you care is because you care about Ripley. And the reason you care about Ripley is Sigourney fucking Weaver, who is just wrapping you around her little finger. She's that fucking good in this role. She's badass when she needs to be badass. She's vulnerable when she needs to be vulnerable. And you feel for her because she is traumatized legitimately and still finds the wherewithal to not only save herself, but everyone else that she can. Yeah, no, like there's not a, there's not a single there's there's nothing wrong with this movie. No. <laughs> not a single thing. Uh it's just not one of those movies where there's a lot of funny japes <laughs> that I can make <laughs> at uh weird inconsistencies. No, no. It it just is one of those things that is just as good as you can really get. Um it's so perfect in so many ways. Despite, you know, uh, the crew not getting along, you know, the cinematographer walks off like, fuck James Cameron. I hate this. They bring in new people. Cameron, like, cannot hate T-1000. 
tea time enough. There's this tradition in, in um, with British cinema that twice a day, the tea trolley cart comes out and people stop what they're doing, have a cup of tea, eat a biscuit, just kind of reset. And Cameron's looking around at this. It's like, motherfuckers on Galaxy of Terror, I made a spaceship out of Big Mac containers. Would you get your ass back on set and fucking work for me, please? <laughs> and an international incident every single day on the set. Um, but you can't say that what the end result is, is that like he was a hack and he was just being an a-hole to have, a, you know, to create a sense of fear on the set. He's just fighting for the best movie he could possibly make. And always sets a bar for himself that I just don't think anyone can live up to when it comes down to it. No, and, and that's why he's been working on the sequel to Avatar for the past 10 years. Right. A bunch of people in a tank of water with ping pong balls on the top of it. I just, oh, wow. There's there's a lot. I, I mean, I'm, I'm interested. I have not seen the trailer yet because my... Uh, multiverse of madness went straight from newbie into the movie. <laughs> I didn't get any trailers at all. I didn't get Thor. I didn't get avatar. I didn't get whatever the fuck they just showed multiverse of madness. Are you looking forward to avatar? Well, you know what? Uh, my shameful secret. I have not actually seen the first one. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the, the, I will say that the, the trailer for the second one is very pretty. It, 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 it kind of looks like something you'd, you'd have playing in the background of like a spa. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mean, you yeah. Know, it's got, it's got, you know, very relaxing music. It's got a, uh, you know, it's got lovely visuals. I mean, I, I don't know if the storyline is particularly compelling, but you know, it, it looks like it'd be very nice to look at. Yeah. It's not a home run the way that aliens is or the way that Titanic is. Um, but I will say that, he's trying to make a movie movie, right? He's trying to take you somewhere. And so if this is the thing that's firing his fucking imagination, I'm a, I'm a, I'm willing to watch it. Right. I, I don't know if it's a priority, but I want to, I do want to see it in like the crazy way they project that he's going to do the high frame rate that like Billy Long's hat, you know, Billy, what's his face? Hat, long halftime walk was, where people were so freaked out at how weird the 3D was. I want to see it that way. Um, I want to see it in the weirdest presentation he can possibly dream up um, because that's the way he wants everyone to see it. He wants this to revolutionize cinema. I just don't think that's a bad thing. I think people think they're too fucking cool is what it comes oh, down yeah, to. Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, people can't just relax and enjoy a movie. You know, that's not to say that Avatar isn't drowning in, you know, white savior complex and it's retrograde when it comes to its plot. Like you can criticize something and also understand what the goal of it is and that it has bigger aspirations than than your average film. We've had this conversation many, many times. Yes. Um, I listen, I could talk about this for another three hours. Yes. Um, I love Aliens. It is the movie that changed me on a molecular level. It's a, there was it's a person just a per- I was before and the person I was it's after. It's just a perfect movie. I, I could watch it just 
over and over and over again. And I, and I, I know, I know, I know the movie from beginning to end and I just, I still, I still love it so much. It used to be a thing where like, if I had trouble sleeping, I would listen to the commentary of the DVD to put myself to sleep. I've watched the making of, as you might've noticed <laughs> over and fucking over again. Like there's very few movies I want to know everything about quite like aliens, probably because I saw it at that right time in my adolescence where it just, I knew from that moment on whatever I was going to do, it had something to do with giving people a feeling like I had when I watched aliens. Yeah. It can't be beat. It can't be beat. Um, The only times that kind of reached that level again would be the following year. Uh, when I wandered into the Burbank AMC and watched a little film called Predator. <laughs> and we've been talking behind the scenes. We we play a little fast and loose here at Kill by Kill. You know, we, we make plans, we break plans. I think at one point we were going to make Predator a mainline franchise that we were going to do. And then it got tabled and they were like, we should do it. We should do Aliens and Predator. And uh, that got tabled. But with the conversation of the upcoming Prey series, I reached out to Gina immediately and said, should we fucking talk about Predator? And I said, and Yes. <laughs> Because it fits the mold. And we haven't done an action film since, well, I mean, this is also an action film. But I think Predator is more an action film than it is a horror film, whereas this is a horror film and an action film. So, and it has characters, baby. Oh, yeah. Characters up the wazoo. Characters telling filthy jokes. Filthy jokes. They're each very individual in their own ways. Like they are trying to make Siskel and Jane uh, and, and Roger really pay attention to character work. And I think we should talk about predator. What do you say? Yes, we should. Fuck yeah. So next week we're coming back with dish by dish the week after that, we're going to talk about predator and we're going to dig into each of those characters. We're really going to unpack it. And understand that there's no way you can fight a predator with a bow and arrow. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm reading right here that a bow and arrow appears in Predator. <laughs> yeah, you uh, you really went off the went off the rails with that on Twitter the other I, day. <laughs> I, if I could reach through a fucking computer screen and start strangling people, uh, first of all, I'd never stop. It's, but this is one of those things where people just type so fast they never think about what they're chatting about. And that was one of those things where it's like, holy fuck, I don't think you've seen a Predator movie. I don't think you know what Predator is about. So we're at the very least going to talk about Predator on the next main feed episode of Kill by Kill. Um, I mean, we could choose our own death venture, but it, it, all you're doing is like trying to find something where you don't end up birthing a fucking alien. Yeah, I mean, I think the only person who doesn't get aliened in some way is uh, is Frost, and he gets set on fire. And I don't want right. that. Right. Again, Weir's Bowski gets blown up. I mean, I guess uh, <laughs> I guess blown up would be the the preferable one because it's fast. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Oh, it should. I, there. Here's the reason why I brought up. Uh, 
<laughs> little shop of horrors because they they those guns that they made like they tried to find um guns that would shoot blanks that would look cool and then they built futuristic looking shit over them but they were so powerful that they shot through their set and into the set of little shop of horrors <laughs> so oh my god what a fucking picture um Gina, where can people find you on these here internets? I write about movies and television at thespool.net. And uh, the other little side project I'm doing, White Ladies in Crisis, we have recently returned back to uh, the show that we started this for, which is the Apple TV series Physical. Uh, oh, yeah. So we're going back to uh, weekly shorter episodes, the time being discussing that show specifically. Uh, and I am on Twitter and Instagram under Gina does things. Do it today. People check it out. Our art is done by Josh Hollis, the great Josh Hollis. Uh, Revenge body does of all of our music and you can find the main theme and all the remixes on Bandcamp. Just type in revenge body and you will find the kill by kill album. It's got 20 whole tracks of fun, crazy, bizarre shit that you should put in your ear holes on the daily. Um, you find us on uh, Twitter and uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, tell us how what you think of the episode. Please, my God, rate and review us. Um, no matter what your podcatcher is, if it, it, it please um, let people know that you're listening to the show. Um, we would love for you to do that because when you rate and review us, more people hear about the show. Um, don't worry, folks. All right. The body count will continue, especially when it comes to aliens fucking up human beings. Uh, For myself and for Gina, bye-bye, everybody. Bye.